I wanted to get across in the book that he was a very funny, generous, kind, loving man. At the same time, he was impossible. Hello and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. Today on the podcast, we have a really special guest, Shelley Klein. Shelley was born in Scotland in 1963, and she was the youngest daughter of textile designer Bernat, or as she calls him in the book, Berry, and knitwear designer Margaret Klein. She grew up in a house designed on a modernist open plan grid with colourful glass panels set against forest trees. She said it was like living in a work of art. The pioneering colours and textiles that were designed by Shelley's father, Berry, were a major contribution to 1960s and 1970s style. As a child, Shelley and her siblings adored both the house and the fashion shows that took place there. But as she grew older, Shelley also began to rebel against her father's excessive design principles. The See-Through House is her book about saying goodbye to a much-loved family home. But it's also a very funny account of looking after an adored yet maddening parent and a piercing portrait of grief that follows his death. During this time of lockdown, I was really lucky to get hold of Shelley in her own house to hear more about her wonderful writing and the wonderful house and man behind the book. Shelley, thank you so much for joining us on the Vintage Podcast, um, especially in this in this strange, strange time. Um, but I think it's probably quite an apt time to be talking about um, our interior lives and our houses. It's actually a really beautiful time to be reading the book. So thank you so much for writing it. Well, thank um, you for asking me on. <laughs> um, so you kind of in the book you call the house the the an inside out house. Um, and I loved your descriptions of the kind of con- contradictory nature of glass. It's kind of here and not here. Um, tell us a little bit about the house. Um, and for those of people who haven't read the book yet, a, a little bit about the background of how it was formed and, and um, how it came into being. Okay. Um, well, the house was um, commissioned by my father in the sort of mid-50s, 1950s. Um, he had uh, been travelling with my mother in Yorkshire and had come across this strange glass building um, that really excited him. And he knocked on the door and um, it, uh, the, the person who answered was actually the brother of the architect who had designed the house. Um, and he put him in touch, uh, my father in touch, with this architect. And my father um, commissioned High Sunderland, or the see-through house, as I call it, uh, from this architect called Peter Womersley. Um, and so it was built, and we grew up there, my, my siblings and myself. Um, and it was the most beautiful glass building in the borders of Scotland, which probably isn't isn't the sort of setting you would expect to see such building it's more sort of californian um in in sort of style but um it really took advantage of the extraordinary views from from you know the the situation um and i don't know if if people uh, know the borders very well but they are stunningly beautiful Um, Tell us a little bit about um, how you came to write the book, because obviously you have sort of this really intrinsic, almost kind of social kind of um, relationship with the house, and, and so did your father. Um, tell us a little bit about um, 
at what point you were in your life when you sat down and you're like I've got to try and immortalize this I've got to try and put this down on paper because it's such a it was what's beautiful about having the physical book as well is these these beautiful kind of like floor plans and and pictures of the house um but it's also your descriptions I think that really help really help you envision what it would be like to be standing inside it tell us a little bit about how the book came into fruition and well um I suppose I've been writing the book all my life in a strange sort of way since the moment I was born because the house had such a, a, an effect not just sort of my mental uh, awareness and being but on my physical being as well. Um, but actually when I sat down to write it it was almost immediately after my father died and as I say in the book I, I find it very hard to separate the two things out from each other you know it my father was the house and the house was my father um and i think it was writing the book was a way of kind of keeping both my parents um in actual fact very close to me um so it's part of the grieving process i could i could still spend time with them in my head as i was writing it i found it very comforting to be in that sort of place uh remembering and thinking about how how the effect of of both my upbringing and the house had uh, had on me uh yes amazing and um did you when you were growing up did you kind of realize that your kind of upbringing was being impacted by this house and, and how was it different to your friends houses because i think it's quite a unique experience to grow up somewhere like that and to also to be able to yes. articulate uh, how architecture has an effect on our lives like that I don't, you know, growing up, no, it was just home. It was just another, you know, it was just... And I was very um, envious of my friends' Victorian sort of Gothic uh, houses that they lived in. They all seemed far more interesting than this low-slung glass building. Um, I loved playing in their houses because it was, you know, lots of secret hidey holes and attics and cellars and, you know, it was there was something very romantic about that and I don't think I really began to appreciate this sort of mid-century modernist house until I was maybe in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s and then I did begin to realise it was quite unusual. Um, So no, even though we were having fashion shows in the house because my father was a, a textile designer and he manufactured textiles and um, and a lot of, you know, sort of couture uh, designers use these fabrics in their shows. And so we had fashion shows in the house. Um, mm-hmm. Even that didn't really sort of dawn on me that it was unusual. It was just what mum and dad did. It, um, yeah, it was their work. So it, uh, although I think to my friends it was very glamorous, I wasn't that impressed. <laughs> If that makes sense. Yeah. It's always that what's our what our normal is growing up is quite funny to look back on, I think. It's it's really interesting. Yes. Yes. Um tell us a little bit more about Barry um and how you kind of got him down on paper because he feels like this really colourful character and so hard to kind of like pin down Um, how did it feel to kind of you what I like about the book is you kind of articulate it in a a script format as well like giving the kind of back and forward Um, tell us a little bit about um, who he was to you maybe what you discovered in the writing process about him and also maybe a little bit about his background because what I think is also interesting is the kind of 
um, Jewish element to his background. Mm-hmm. He lost a lot of his family in Auschwitz. Um, tell me a little bit about about him and and how how that relates to. Oh gosh, um, he. Sorry, that's a, that's a big question. <laughs> well, he was obviously a hugely important part of my life, as was my mother. Um, people, friends have said, "Where's your mother in this book?" And it's like, well. She was, she was definitely there. Um, uh, she was a very strong presence, but it is more about Dad. Um, he grew up in a tiny little town in northern Yugoslavia in, a, in a, an Orthodox Jewish family, and he went to yeshiva, and he went to, you know, to, he, was, he was really uh, deeply embedded in the sort of Jewish culture and background. Um, and then for various reasons which are explained in the book he kind of left that and went to art school and sort of branched out um and left and sort of turned his back on on the religion um and eventually came to britain and um built this house and um he was a very well like all of us he was a very complex man um he was I wanted to get across in the book that he was a very funny, generous, kind, loving man. At the same time, he was impossible um, because he had very strong views on design and um, how things looked and how things should be. And, it, you know, growing up with that is, is, is quite complicated in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways. Um, so while I wanted to point point out that it, it you know living with in a modernist house with a man who is very uh, aware of his surroundings and how uncomfortable things that he didn't like could make him, um, I also wanted to to put across that he was he was a very kind, funny man as well, and I'm hoping that the balance I got the balance just about right. Um, yeah, and um, I think I think a lot of people who have achieved something in their lives do have this side to them, which is very, you know, it 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 it's very. Oh, how do I put it? Um, you know, he he had very strong views, and he stuck to them. And um, in that respect, you know, I admire him, even though it could be very difficult if I had an opposing view. Um, yeah, we had, our, we had our battles. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you think that, um, well, I don't know, for, for me, I'm a, a bit of a renter at the moment, but like, do you think we can benefit from, from really inspecting where we live? Because at the moment, I think a lot of us are really living in our four walls. <laughs> and um, I love the elements of the book where you, you kind of organise the book in terms of rooms. So you're you're forced really to, to spend a lot of time in certain rooms and, and, and think oh. about them properly in your environments. Do you think that's affected the way you decorate where you live and what you... What, what you surround yourself with and do you think it's different from what other people think about because it the book definitely made me think about what I surround my life with and, and where, where I put my stuff and what it means to me mm. I think I think it does I'm very aware of of uh the objects I bring into the house and what I I want there and what they mean to me and that's that's got uh, more and more so as I grow older 
Um, so I think in a way I'm, I'm sort of coming to meet my father halfway now. Um, I'll, I'll never be as pure as he, he was in what he, in what he wanted uh, within the house. But of course I've brought a lot of things from the see-through house to my new home in London. So um, from that, in that respect, um, you know, I'm carrying the past with me into this house. But um, I, I think actually during this time, in particular, because we are confined to our ha- all to our houses, it, it it again has added another layer of what we really need and how much money we spend on sort of just frippery that we don't really need. And I'm paring down a lot of my sort of what I would call junk. Um, and I I have seen a lot of a lot of you know, people putting things out in the street during this time, um, and it's made me wonder what what effect uh, being confined has had had on us all uh, in relation to that, in, in relation to our interiors and what we want in them. Yeah, definitely. I think as people are, are realizing as their worlds shrink a bit, like what the what their personal space is and, and the impact it has. Yes. Well. Yes, and it's a very and it's a very um, important aspect of our lives. You know what? How our living does impact on us. How our interior spaces do have an impact on us. Um, and for me, I think the less is more uh, mantra is beginning to really hit home. Um, I prefer just having a few objects that I really treasure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think that probably will transfer as well. I think it's always interesting, especially with the kind of the craze of the kind of Marie Kondo and, and decluttering. Um, but yes. but what what the anxieties that are below that obsession and that that kind of fad was just that people are worried that they they haven't got the essentials in their lives down and they haven't worked out what's really important for themselves. So I think it's also as my calendar was stripped <laughs> of events, <laughs> I was also like, what would I build that book up with now it's been stripped away? So it was, it's yes. just such an interesting. Yeah time to be thinking about all that kind of stuff it really is um are there any writers that have inspired you especially it's it's a strange one writing memoir as well writing things that are really about characters but also real people um are, are there any do you do you what's your favorite kind of books do you write like reading non-fiction or fiction and do you think there's anything that seeped into your own writing um my my tastes have changed i think through the years i used to just read gobble fiction like you know uh, like uh, <laughs> that it was a favourite food, um, you know, since I was a child, and I used to love reading, the, you know, the big thick Victorian novels, and um, they were. I think they have been very influential on my imagination. Um, but in it's it's strange since both my parents have died. I've found a real comfort in reading memoirs and non-fiction and I find it very difficult to read fiction now because nothing really feels that real to me in fiction Um, and yeah so memoirs really have helped me get through some very difficult times Um, and I, I find I'm yeah I'm more drawn to to non-fiction at the moment I'm hoping to go back to fiction because I I do miss that wonderful uh, feeling of getting lost in a story 
um, and you know wanting to get back back into it as soon as possible, um, which I don't quite get with nonfiction, but I'm uh, I haven't got there yet. I haven't got there yet. Yes. I don't know if there's any any specific. I mean, I I can name lots of writers who I've loved reading, such as um, what springs to mind all of Jean Reese's books. Um, I think she was a, a particular favourite. Um, the Brontes, uh, a lot of um, a lot of D. H. Lawrence. I loved for his sort of descriptions of landscape and nature and colour. Um, I, he always blows, you know, his descriptions blow blow me away. Um, so yeah, I have very eclectic tastes, shall we say? <laughs> I think that's good. <laughs> variety of everything. Uh, another question, I suppose, that I was just thinking of asking, but don't worry if you don't want to answer it. But I think okay. that a lot of people at the at the moment are worried about. Um, you know, losing people they love, learning about grief and preparing themselves for it. And I love this line in the book that you said, um, as long as I am alive, they are too. Um, I thought that was really beautiful. Do you have any thoughts for people who are experiencing grief or any any learnings that you've kind of taken away from from going through that and maybe like writing the book as well? And if that's changed your relationship to grief? That's, that's a good question, but a really difficult one. Um, I'm not, I can't remember if I said this in the book, but I, th- I think, you know, Every grief is individual, and it's and it's all to do with the relationship. You know, each of our relationship with the person who's died. So it's a very difficult thing to sort of give a give a sort of blanket uh, answer to. Um, and grief is so complex. I mean, <laughs> it throws up all sorts of uh, emotions and regrets and worries, and as well as wonderful memories and you know um it's it's just a rough road and um although i do think that that cliche of you know time heals is true um it can take a long time and to give yourself i suppose my 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 thing would be give yourself time as many you know months years as it takes because it can you know it's 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 complex um thank you so much for writing the book um i wondered if there's anything that you're reading while you're in lockdown at the moment that you're enjoying or um anything that's keeping you entertained or sane <laughs> while you're at the moment i am thoroughly enjoying um a book and i'm hoping i've got the title right called square haunting it's about um five the lives of five women who lived on this particular square various points in london and it was i think it was published either yeah earlier this year or late last year yeah square haunting um, square haunting by francesca wade that's five it. women yes. freedom and london between the wars that looks great <laughs> it really is and um i'm it's absolutely fascinating so yes i give a shout out to that <laughs> a nice way to like imagine that you're walking around <laughs> and being outside yes. when you're not i think a lot well, of people well, are the doing. moment lockdown is over i am going to go and find this square because i don't think i've ever walked i think it's called mecklenburg and i don't know if i pronounced it right square in london and I don't think I've ever been there, so I'm going to go and find it. 
Good. <laughs> you give us all a little walking tour of it by this stage, you'll know everything about it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That was the wonderful Shelley Klein. If you're looking to order a book uh, remotely from your favourite bookshop, I would really recommend The See-Through House. It's a wonderful um, lockdown read. We continue to encourage you to choose bookshops and order locally where you can. We have a big thread on our Vintage Books Twitter account um, of lots of different wonderful bookshops throughout the country that are still taking orders. You can follow us at Vintage Books on Twitter and that's the same on Instagram. We've been doing lots of exciting remote activity uh, with some wonderful authors, so do check out our Instagram, especially the Instagram TV. I have been Lena Norms. Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast and until next time. Thank you.